Welcome to the undermanned, underfunded, but overachieving, <laughs> austerity-ridden New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and the only gent in the studio with me today is... You already know. So, I I, I, mean, I called it a studio, it's probably a bit rich, but... You know, it is the, a studio. The magic don't, of podcast means that everyone listening to this, look, it's a, it's a podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't, studio, don't kill the ma- yeah, don't kill the magic. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. How do you think we're going to fare without Martin? Um, well, stag dudes do that to people, so I'm sure you know he'll be on Booze Britain season 16 at some point. So he's he's been on a stag do at weekend. I've been getting updates, and essentially Martin's been a bit flaky. He's been telling me how he's been struggling to keep the stag is an absolute animal, and uh, he's been dragging Martin through all kinds of. Uh, Where in, was it? It was in Reading. Yeah. And uh, he said that he basically this this guy is an absolute beast, and he's been just going uh, drinking and just going to the to levels that Martin's never even seen before. So, what did he think was going to happen? Well, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Martin's a bit of a party animal, but he just couldn't keep up with this guy. So, uh, Martin, you will inevitably be listening. That's for you. There's your shout out, <laughs> and we get on with the rest <laughs> of the program. Um, right. So we had uh, we've had. Quite a bit of action slash no massive action, but you know we we have time for everything here. So let's talk Friday's fights. So Ricky Hatton has his first champion under his name, Zanat Zakianov. Uh, he fought uh, Rashi Warren. Do you know anything about the fight, Terry? Saw the fight. Um. So just to set the scene, so Rashi Warren, twenty nine years old was strangely enough with Andre Warden back in 2004. So he boxed, I think he did three Olympic Games. I think he did 2004, 2008 and 2012, and then turned pro after 2012. So really long amateur career, won his world championship, I think the same year that Frankie Gavin won his, which tells you how long this guy's been in the game. So Roshi Warren wins a world title really against the odds, you know, obviously represented by Adrian Broner, so they did what they could to get him a world title. Um, I know Jamie McDonald and his camp were looking at Warren as being the weaker of the champions in the division. So they will be somewhat disappointed that Zanad Zakianov beat him. And to be honest, after the first round, you didn't think the fight would go the distance. So first round, Warren dropped him twice. Comes straight out the blocks, southpaw, just firing combinations. And, I mean, we just call him double Z now. I think that's probably yeah. best, yeah. And, and, and <laughs> he had no answer to what Warren was doing technically. Um, Very basic, but very intense. He had a really high intensity. And you thought, if he can keep this up for four or five rounds, he'll win this. But, you know, I mean, what do you say? <laughs> Whatever was said in that corner fight just changed from then on. I don't think Warren really deserved to win a round for the rest of the fight, which is unusual because 
you basically give up a 10-7 round and go on to win a world title. It's virtually unheard of. So, Ricky Hatton now has his first world t- first world champion. Someone he can promote in the UK against Jamie McDonnell. I don't think McDonnell will really fancy the fight, but McDonnell's a big guy at the weight, so he'll be okay with that. I, I, I'll be interested to see how that fight goes, interested to see what Hatton does with him. Because, you know, that that might be the Haddon Promotions cash cow for now until they can do something with Nathan Gorman. So that was probably the the main news that affects British fans that came out of the card at Toledo, Ohio. That was for the Bantamweight title, right? Yes. Is that Would that be a problem if he's going to try and promote him? Is there much of an appetite for Bantamweight boxing? Oh, you've got the McDonald brothers. So any one of those two could, I mean, the UK fight, nice and easy to make. Okay, so we also had Robert Easter Jr. versus Cruz. Um, so regular listeners will understand that I'm a big Robert Easter Jr. fan. Um, he's he potentially has everything, but in this fight, you know, against Cruz, he also showed that he might not have everything or might not have anything because for a guy his size and with the leverage he generates, he really struggled to to get Cruz away. Dropped him. I mean the the key st- the key points but he dropped him in the eleventh I think he dropped him in the twelfth as well but even the punches he dropped him with he was so close you, you he's he's like Deontay Wilder in the sense that he loves to to get in closer than he needs to he could easily keep fights at distance and win but and it'd be interesting to know the the views of everyone listening there's something about people that come out of this sort of Broner and Mayweather axis where they're quite lazy you know the defense is good combinations are great when they come but they're really lazy like punch outputs really low so Easter Jr. kind of reminds me of Bronan that he boxes when he wants to which is why the commie fight was so competitive had Easter Jr. shown up with the desire to to take commie out of there I don't think that fight would have gone the distance so I think Easter Jr. has questions to ask. You know, anyone who watched the fight, just watch the first half of the fight and how many times Easter Jr. just retreats in straight lines, you know, doesn't use his jab to protect the space. So he's let, he, he let Cruz come in. Cruz wasn't really that much of a threat. This was a homecoming fight, really. So he should have probably done him in three or four rounds. Couldn't because he couldn't get his distance right. Uh, um, do you think that's the only reason? Um just looking at uh, Louis Cruz's record, he's only been knocked out once. But you're looking at Easter Jr. This guy is 5'11", maybe six foot at lightweight. You know, the leverage he should be able to generate, he should be the Thomas Hearns of his division. And we're not seeing that, which makes me think maybe he's slightly underpowered or there's something wrong technically. So back to the drawing board for Barry Hunter, who, to be honest, if I was a boxer, I'd love to have Barry Hunter in my corner. But, Let's not forget Easter Jr. is young. He probably got the title sooner than he thought. And it's a reminder for guys who are saying Gravante Davis needs to fight every man and his dog. It takes a while (laughs) to actually mature and settle at at that sort of weight. So a good show at Toledo, Ohio. PBC showing that much like Matchroom in the UK, they're really trying to make local stars in local markets. Arena looked reasonably full. um, Probably more full for the Broner card, which is a week after. Well, this weekend coming up, so let's we'll discuss that later. But good entertaining card, and it's showing that you know the Americans are really putting their guys in now, so everyone's going to be working. 
Okay, there was also a show on York Hall this weekend that you attended, Sir Terry, um, the Dove Box show, which was broadcast live on Facebook. Um, well, I found this out after I bought my ticket, but yeah. Um, <laughs> All part of the plan. So credit to Tommy Dove. Tommy Dove, London-based promoter, really wants to do something for, you could call him the London free agent. So these are guys who box in and around the London gyms, Right now, it's mainly Miguel's, guys who are super talented. And, you know, Tommy wants to give them a platform at York Hall to, to, to show what they can do. And hopefully he can uncover, you know, an unpolished diamond. That's really the, the ethos of it. Tommy Dove, good man. Um, I think his father was a promoter as well. So really understands the business. His fighters speak really highly of him. So the show on Saturday was, it was essentially the the... Really, it was headlined by the, the big men for all intents and purposes. And there were two main fights. So there was Tom Little against Tom Dallas, which is the main event. So it was basically Hartfordshire versus Kent. Uh, quick context, Tom Dallas was the great hope, you know, for British heavyweight boxing for a while until, you know, punch resistance wasn't what it needed to be. And I remember watching him get bombed out by Ian Lewison. And I don't think Ian Lewison had trained for that fight. He just literally showed up and bombed him out in a, in a couple of rounds. So, at that point, you were slightly worried about Dallas. Uh, we haven't got Martin here, but Martin would confirm that Steve Goodwin took Dallas out to the States. Um, I don't think that ended too well either. So, against Tom Little, this was almost the, the ultimate of crossroads fights. Um, one of those two, whoever lost that fight, wasn't going any further in their career. And in something like 59 seconds... Tom Little completely obliterated Tom Dallas. I don't say it because I think Tom Dallas is a decent enough man. But Tom Little showed what happens when, <laughs> you know, you've you've got to put it all on the line. And he came out and the minute he had Tom Dallas hurt, he just went for the kill. I haven't seen hand speed like that on a heavyweight in a long time. So congratulations to Tom, or Tom Little. Sorry, I know there are two Toms in this. And he now has more options than he had a week ago. And that's good for him. He's a genuinely nice guy. Give me all the best for him. Um, and then here's a bit that fills me with sadness, I guess. So a week ago, I was talking up the fight between Domac and Lardy and Nathan Gorman for the English. Um, you know, I waxed lyrical about how Dom's come through and how Nathan's really shone since he left the GB squad and all that sort of good stuff. But... I had to watch my friend yesterday lose a fight that he should never have lost. And it's rare that, you know, I deviate from the sarcasm and the general brutal savaging for people. But Dom's a good friend and I had to watch for six rounds He, him potentially losing his career. And I love Dom with all my heart. Taught me a lot about boxing. Made me a better boxer just by working with him. Um, he's made others better boxers by working with them. And he just didn't show up. I don't know if anyone managed to see the fight. I've I I have no explanation for it. I I've talked up Dom to when people say, ah, you know, I always knew he was a hype job. It actually hurts because I know what Dom can do. Did he look in good shape before the fight? Did he have? Any, did you? Did he raise any cause for concern? So so I'd been with Dom the week before. We'd, we 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 knocked about for a couple of rounds, and there were things I saw there that I was happy with. But we're used to each other, so. He knows that he has to press me aggressively. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to do that to him. There wasn't that urgency in this fight. 
I didn't, I just didn't get the sense that there was the urgency that was needed. You know, there's Jason Stanland and or Josh Stanland, sorry, um, trained by Tyro Nurse's dad, Chris Aston, had one fight, but he was a spoiler. He's he's a guy who, you know, I've seen this in the amateurs with a kid called Jamie Shakiva, and anyone who knows Jamie Shakiva knows that, you know. The kid is brilliant at what he does. And what he does is he just denies you space. He says, I don't need space to work. So I'm going to deny you space. And I'm just going to work like in these small gaps. And that's exactly what Stanlin did to Dom. Just worked, denied him space and worked. And Dom didn't have a solution. You know, I'd have questions around what was said in the corner. I don't know what was said. And it was just hurtful to watch. I'm not gonna, it was hurtful to watch because you knew Dom was better than that. But he couldn't find that gear that you need against someone like that. And so, did you ever train? Was it tiredness or I, or what? I have you get, spoke to him since? No, no. Um, when, when a defeat like that happens, you have got to give someone a, a day or two to a deal with the hundreds of messages they're likely to get. B clear their head and work out what they feel and what they think. But it's it's for me, it's still tough to take because so, I I was looking forward to April the first and. Dom is good enough, but there's no point in us saying that he's good enough if he doesn't deliver. That's the frustration. Um. So, given that, where can he go from here? I don't know. You're looking at a rematch with Tom Little, and on that form, he doesn't win that fight. So, what does Dom do? He could come and spend time with me. You know, just, I mean, what I, I guess what I've learned in my time is how to bring that sense of urgency so everyone that works with me understands that we suffer we suffer in the gym and we suffer in the ring and we make everyone else suffer around us but i don't know um dom doesn't have to box he's proved his point he can do whatever he wants in the sport and he'd be more than more than successful at it so we'll see what happens but you know i i I had to just say that because i remember last week i was very bullish and how good Dom was so I had to take this one firmly on the chin okay moving on Ashley Bailey Demetz versus Taylin Jones what can you tell us I just <laughs> I had no luck yesterday so so Ashley Bailey is another friend and I've known Ashley a few years we've done work together um you know we kind of crisscrossed when I moved over to double jab and he was looking for an amateur club he moved back to Fitzroy Lodge and we, to this day, we joke about, you know, it was a substitution that helped both clubs. But he fought Taylor Jones. Um, probably a bit too early. I think people forget Taylor Jones was a decent amateur and has been sparring top-level opponents. And people who are wondering why they know that name, in the Chris Eubank sparring video, he was the guy who got knocked out. That's who Taylor Jones was. And... You know, he's from Essex, it raised his profile, and he's been able to parlay that into a reasonable pro career. But he's good. Um, Ashley, top physical form, had an engine for days. I think it's it's the same thing I keep saying to people. You have to bring a level of intensity to the pros, and a lot of people don't get what intensity is. It's, it's, it's the difference between throwing that one punch when you're in close and throwing three or four. And that's what makes a difference. So Taylor Jones would just let his hands go. Not only would he let his hands go, he'd fully rotate the punches. So you could see, you know, there was nowhere else his shoulder could go when he was throwing some of those shots. 
and you know, they were the ones that you were seeing, they were eye-catching, and there was a real impact behind those punches. And, you know, over six rounds, he was a better man. You know, I had it to Lynn Jones by a couple of rounds. So, you know, 58, 56 would have been a reasonable card. I think they gave it to Tay by 59 to 55. What does Ashley do next? Well, hopefully he doesn't give up the sport and he carries on because A. Ashley's is an incredibly nice guy. Um, he's one of those boxers you really want to see succeed because just media-wise, he's good, does all the right things, made the weight comfortably, looked in shape, looked energetic, really, you know, takes the pro-life seriously. It's small things and, you know, you have to look at what's happening in the training camp. Are they working on these things? Because I think one thing that unites both of these guys is there was a lack of an additional gear. So if you look at most great fighters, when they feel they're behind on a scorecard or they feel the fight's drifting from them, they find another gear. And that what that gear does is it says to the opponent, you're tired. And at this point that you're tired, I'm going to accelerate. Can you keep up with me? And most people fold at that point. And that's how you get, you know, that's how you get these turnaround wins when people come from behind and just stop the fight because they find that other gear. But that, to find that gear you have to access it regularly and you have to do that in training. You have to go into that dark place that says, this isn't about whether I can physically do this or not. This is about whether I can mentally do it. And I just don't think in some of these training gyms in London, I don't think people train that. Okay. Um, I heard it on the grapevine. Word on the street is uh, that Saunders could be taking on Triple G in Kazakhstan on the 10th of June. Uh, you bumped into Sir Saunders at York Hall on Saturday, did you not? Yes. So, did you, so, did yeah. you mention anything? So Billy Joe was there. Um, I was just trying not to reveal the fact that he had blocked me on Twitter, to be honest with you. you know, <laughs> that would have been very awkward because I, th I think he brought some friends with him who were somewhat larger than I was. So just a quick catch up. Hello, how are you? Um, what's happening next? And his simple response was, you're going to have to wait and see. You know, <laughs> we don't want to say anything before anything's happened. But fully expect him to fight Golovkin. I'm sure someone in Kazakhstan's put up a nice, hefty purse for both of them. Yeah, because apparently his, uh, both his mantras, or both, yeah, his mantras have been paid off. Um, yeah. You know, all, all rumours right now, I don't want any, any litigation. Yeah, um, well, admittedly, this is yeah, this is all speculation. But it would make it would make sense, bearing in mind what he said at the Box Nation press conference, where he was talking about something big is going to happen. I have to fight the best of the best in their own backyard. You know, does anyone fancy a trip to Astana? Don't know. I, I'm not one for flying out that way. But if anyone has done Tinder in Astana, you'll know that the women are not bad looking. So if you are looking for a trip out there and you've got a few quid to your name, um, I'd recommend it. It'd be an interesting... That would be an interesting trip. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, on At his best, how does Billy Joe stack up against Triple G? Because he's, he's an awkward customer to fight against, isn't he, Billy Joe? He just... He, he can park the bus when he needs to. But how long can you... The thing about Golovkin is you know that he'll do the rounds. He'll do the 12 rounds and you'll be getting hurt for 12 rounds. You know, Martin Murray tried that. If you remember, Martin Murray tried to park the bus and he got 11 rounds in and then eventually... Yeah, but I think even you would say that Martin Murray and Billy Joe Saunders aren't in the same league, surely. 
But I'd have said Martin Murray took less risks than Billy Joe will. So Billy Joe will win a couple of rounds in the beginning. The first four rounds, he might even win three out of four. What happens then when Golovkin's still there and he, and he's making the ring feel like a phone box and you're looking at it and, and, and we're all watching this fight and we and we all know how it's going to end after round four. And I go back to what I said before: you need the additional gear. Has Billy Joe got that additional gear? Will Adam Booth give him that additional gear that says I can go from throwing fifty-seven punches around to eighty-nine if I have to? So when was the last time we saw Billy Joe in the ring? Uh, Akovov in a leisure centre somewhere, and then yeah. So so in and the before last, that, Andy Lee in the last yeah. So in the last eighteen months, he's had what two fights? If you include, I think I think Andy Lee was about eighteen months ago, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah, November twenty fifteen. So he's a, he's one fight in the last eighteen months, um, and you know there's got to be questions there, isn't there, about his ring any ring rust that he might have. Even the, if you... the, the thing about Golovkin is it's not about ring rust because there's nothing clever about Golovkin. There's nothing quick about Golovkin. It's he he see he's virtually unbreakable and he's so consistent over the distance. Okay, let, let's approach it another way then. If you have to, regardless of Billy Joe, if you have to make a fighter from scratch with like some sort of Frankenstein esque um, monster to take on Triple G. What what components does he need in his arsenal to to have? A, and you can't choose Triple G. <laughs> he can't make it a street fighter type. G on, so I can't. So I can't have any Triple G. <laughs> so 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 no no RPGs, no missile launches, no 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 tomahawks, and no, none of that. So uh, yeah, who who? How do you beat him? Essentially, what do you have to have in your arsenal? You have to be Marvin Hagler, basically. So I think a peak Marvin Hagler at middleweight is probably the archetype of the fighter who would beat Golovkin. So talk us through those, uh, including me, that are unqualified to talk about such a fighter um, in the analogues of history. Tell us a so, bit more about his skill, technique, his, his, his pros and cons. So, so Hagler is almost, is almost the prototype for Golovkin, where he can switch hit, he can shift, which essentially means when he throws his backhand, he'll just bring his right leg over. Um, he will deny you space. He will sit in the phone booth and fight with you. He'll have a shootout with you. But he could bang. He was a tough man who could fight. I like if Golovkin and Hagler sat next to each other. I think they'd both acknowledge how tough their lives were, how underappreciated their careers were while they were having them. So they're very, very similar. The parallels between Hagler and Golovkin are, are start, start, startling. In fact. But, you know, what's the other option? The other option is to, is to go the other extreme and say, strip all the skill out. We will pick someone like Julian the Hawk Jackson. And most people know Julian Jackson for the knockout of Harold Graham, where he basically just you know, nearly decapitates Harold Graham with a punch. <laughs> I'll have to look that up. Yeah, so Julian Jackson is probably the fighter who has sufficient power that he puts anyone down. Um, you're that really old school, tough, solid, you know, the sort of men now who are just playing American football or in the NBA, but in those days you'd box. So he's a, he's another one. Um, Mike McCallum would be an interesting kind of skill set to rival Golovkin. I think if Golovkin had been around in the eighties, it would have been interesting to see how he would have coped because there are guys who could do to Golovkin what he does to people. 
So even if you could compile parts of boxers that are currently in the game, can you even make up a boxer that you would sort of bet against, uh, bet, yeah, would make you bet against Golovkin? Um, so I'd take Eubank's work rate and his engine. And then I'd take the Danny Jacobs power. Um, I'm still going to call Cesar Chavez a 160 fighter. I'd take Cesar Chavez Jr.'s chin. Whose skill? Whose technique and skill? And it has to be a middleweight, doesn't it? Willie Monroe Jr. So I think if you look at Golovkin, the person who most befuddled him was Willie Monroe Jr. while while he wasn't getting hit. So you, you get that. But also look, Kell Brook showed what can happen to Golovkin when you stick it on him. Yeah, I like. I really enjoyed that fight up until the point where, <laughs> yeah, the Ingles decided we, we've earned our money. It's over. Broke him like a like an egg. <laughs> yeah, and now, now imagine that had been someone like Hagler just out the traps like he did against Thomas Hearns. Can Can Billy Joe protect himself against that onslaught? Is it possible? Has he got the skill to to bob and weave and, and block the shots that Golovkin's inevitably going to throw? I, that's something on Matthew, the assumption this fight actually does take place. Something Matthew Macklin said, and he said, he'll hit you on the arms and that will hurt enough. <laughs> so wh- whatever you put in the way of that fist is going to hurt. You, know, you could put your leg up if you want, that's going to hurt. So... How do you stop him hitting you? This is a guy who who had God knows how many hundred amateur bouts. This is a guy who fought in the Olympics. There's not many tricks Golovkin hasn't seen. So Billy Joe's good, and Billy Joe might give Golovkin his hardest test, but Billy Joe hasn't got that that nasty, vicious power that you need to back Golovkin off. Because at some point, you want Golovkin to take a step back. Well, somewhat of a digression there, but we'll go back to people you met at York Hall. You bumped into O'Hara Davis as well. Yeah. Um, I, look, you know, here's my rant about boxing fans. I don't understand how the hell oh, you can dislike O'Hara Davis. Strap yourselves in. You know, you know some, sometimes boxing fans need to ask themselves, who the hell do they think they are? Yeah. Here's yeah, a you kid. sit still and listen. <laughs> here's a kid. And I remember O'Hara Davis back in 2012. Um... And people saying, you know, this guy shouldn't be an amateur boxer. Because O'Hara Davis is a kid who has a lot of energy. You know, boxing was easy to him because he trained so hard. So he'd showboat a bit, you know. He'd he'd want to entertain the crowd. Which, for me, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think he was disrespecting his opponent. But a lot of the the grey-haired tracksuit brigade really disliked him. Oh, kick him out your club. You know, I don't want to match my guys against him. So O'Hara Davis couldn't get fights. This is why he stopped messing around with the amateur scene. So Ahara had to go off to, I think it was Ghana, to gain international recognition. Um, that didn't necessarily go to plan. I remember when he had his first fight on a Goodwin show and the crowd were going mad because he did press-ups in the ring after he won. You know, all sorts of things that a young man with energy would do. Nobody wanted Ahara Davis in professional boxing and nobody wanted him to be successful. Now... Are you chewing at the back there? Stop it. Listen, Terry is ranting. (laughs) Look, roll a few years ahead. Eddie Hearn has got him. Eddie Hearn's managed to keep him under control and keep, you know I mean, managed him well. And now Hara Davis is ranked top 15 in the world. You know, he's knocking on, he's knocking on the door of people with belts now. And all of that is self-created. All of that is self-made. 
if you know O'Hara Davis as a person, what you'll understand about him is he's one of the most humble people you'll ever meet. Like, he was at your call yesterday. Didn't leave a seat, just sat there with the people he knows, having conversations, having a laugh and a joke. If people wanted pictures, that wasn't any drama. You know, he was, he was, he was just a, a guy you look at and go, that's the kid I remember. That's the kid I remember training in Chisora's gym Christmas 2012. So when I hear people being disrespectful and saying, oh, you're this, you're that, no one wanted him at the party. Now he's at the party and he's doing well. You know, I met Craig Richards as well. Another guy I remember when he was boxing for Palmer's years ago. And no one wanted these guys at the party. These were meant to be the outsiders. You might, you might end up as a doorman or an enforcer for a drug dealer one day. This is what people wanted to happen to these guys. Anthony Yard in the same camp. Junior Benjamin. Big Junior. All of these guys were being marginalised because they hadn't come up the traditional way. But look at them all now and they're flying. And if you're a boxing fan and you dislike these guys, despite what they've been through, man, you, you're a disgrace yourself. You might not like what he says about people, but look at the people who have a go at him. Guys like Spencer Fearon. Like Spencer Fearon had O'Hara Davis nailed as his next cash cow until O'Hara said, nah, I'm going to go with people who've actually delivered results. And that's why, he, you know, that's why the, the rebukes are so public from Spencer. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think he's a great kid. I think he beats Derry Matthews comfortably. Um, I'm going to collect my money off Andy Ayling when he does. And he was brilliant yesterday. Like, he, he consumer professional. Um, and if you guys don't believe me, be at the York Hall show on March 17th. Meet O'Hara Davis and then tell me you still dislike the guy because I find it hard to believe. Have you got that? Have you got that, all of you? Right. So start showing O'Hara Davis some love. Start by following him on Twitter. Send him some love hearts. <laughs> and make sure he feels adored by you lot, okay? Uh, moving on. Isaac Chamberlain. You met him as well. I um, sort of met Isaac Chamberlain, met Craig Richards as well. Makes me feel incredibly short, man. These guys are absolute giants. Good to see Isaac, man. You know, just, you know I mean? Him, combination, his management team. I mean, Eddie Hearn's really looking to accelerate him, I, I suspect. You know, the, the big things are expected of Isaac. You know, cruiserweight is that kind of division where you can clean up. I think, and I said this to Isaac yesterday, the challenge is you might bump into some roided up Polish cruiserweight who has nothing to lose. So you don't want to move up too soon. You know I mean? see, nah, there's no yourself. drugs in boxing, mate. You would never <laughs> bump into anyone like that. <laughs> no, you just want to season, look, season yourself. I mean, toughen up. You know, you, you don't have to always win a world title in 12 or 13 fights. You know, just keep moving at the pace you need to move at. Same thing with Craig Richards. Because these guys are young, ambitious and hungry. I can't explain to you how dedicated these guys are. It's inspirational. You know, in, instead of digging these guys out, as a lot of, you know, Twitterati like to do, just follow their example. You get up early and you do the miles and you do the hard work and you do the sacrifice and just see how much better your life becomes. Uh, just a slight digression, cruising through BoxRec the other day, I come across, uh, I'm, I'm just looking at all different boxers, and obviously you've got um, Anthony Joshua and Vladimir Klitschko coming up later this year. How many, do you know the difference between, I mean clearly there's a difference in experience levels, whatever, but how many rounds of boxing, professional boxing that is, do you think that Anthony Joshua has gone through in his in his boxing career? At a guess, 
76? And it's 44 in his professional career. He's gone through it. He's had 44 rounds of boxing. How many rounds do you think Vladimir Klitschko's had? <laughs> now, for a bonus point, can you tell me the listed alias that they've got on there, which I've never heard spoken about? Is it Dr. Ironfist or Dr. Steelhammer? <laughs> Dr. Steelhammer, yeah. Okay. <laughs> never even heard that. So, so Vitaly's Dr. Ironfist and Vladimir's Dr. Steelhammer. Can you, uh, can you give it... Uh, do you know his birth name? We'll get to the round in a second. <laughs> Vladimir Vladotsky. <laughs> it's not far off. Vladimir Vladimirovich Klitschko. It's, it's insane. So anyway, how many rounds do you think he's, he's gone through? 44 for Annie Joshua. How many do you reckon? 550. Oh, no. He overshot it a bit. You want to have a guess or not? 420. 358. 350, he's had over 300 more rounds than Anthony Joshua. I thought that was pretty incredible, to be honest. That's that's um, a massive difference in experience levels, and yet there's an... A- add in the, the years and the amateurs as well. Like this, For Joshua? No. Or, or do you mean, oh, Vladimir's been boxing since he was nine. Yeah, it's a fair point, a very fair point. So you, you're probably closer with your initial guess to his total yeah, amount. I, I'd imagine Vladimir Klitschko... If if he's anywhere near the Klitschko that put out Povetkin, I don't think Joshua has an answer because there's nothing Anthony Joshua can show him that he hasn't seen before. Wild punching power he had from Sam Peter and those sorts of guys. You know, clever boxing. You know, everyone's tried that. Brian Jennings tried that. Everyone's tried that. With Vladimir's seen everything. And if he needs to, he'll just dig Vitaly up to go, look, I just need someone to throw <laughs> hard shots at me. <laughs> Dig him up. <laughs> because because Vitaly is one of these really underrated boxers, and people laugh when I say this, but if you watch Vitaly Klitschko, I don't think a big man has had a better one-two since Larry Holmes, probably. You know, Vitaly's a very, very impressive... He's a very impressive boxer, and he's probably still got enough that he could mimic the speed of Anthony Joshua. Moving on. On Wednesday... You spent time with Touch Gloves Boxing. Do you want to give us a lowdown on exactly what that involved? Yes. So, big shout out to James at JFB Sports. Shaz, I mean, Shaz out of Pep Talk as well. You know, really, really grateful. I just got a text message and they said, look, do you fancy coming down to Touch Gloves to help the youngsters? So, Touch Gloves Boxing is a new gym set up in Barking. You know, I think, you know, that, that part of London, predominantly Muslim. And, you know, nice community group, the same way any other community group tries to drive change and positivity. So I went down and they asked me if I could run a session. So just, you know, just thought I'd have some fun. Some of the clips and stuff are on Twitter. Just amazing being around, you know, these kids who are being introduced to boxing. A lot of them are quite green. And just just a great opportunity to be back in the harness and just, you know, dust off the old skills and I always say this to people, boxing is fascinating because wherever you are, there's always a story behind what's happening. And just being around the kids, understanding how they've got into boxing, what they want to get out of it is fantastic. And, you know, the message I left them with was when you walk in the gym, it's all business. And this this refers back to what I was saying earlier about why some of our British boxers struggle. When you walk in the gym, and your attitude is it's all business. That means you don't look at your phone. That means you don't take Instagram videos. You don't take selfies until your work is done. 
And I don't know how many boxers can truthfully say that they do that. You know, just go in and it's all business and you're ruthless in pursuing excellence. And, you know, that's the message I try and share with people whenever I whenever I go into a boxing club. I say, the boxers define the culture, the coaches define the standards. And so it was it was good to have that, um, you know, a lot of talent in the room. You know, once they get their, their formula nailed, I expect to see a good few champions coming out of there. So hopefully it'll be a good community hub and a source of inspiration for youngsters. If you take UK boxing as a whole, do you think the standard is improving overall? Do you no. think the sport is going forward or backwards? It's going backwards. So, <laughs> conversation we were having yesterday was, was quite an intense row, actually, because people are trying to tell me that boxing is a growing sport and boxing is massive at the moment. And the only evidence they could give me was that Joshua sold 90,000 tickets. And I had to remind them that if Arsenal had a stadium that was 90,000, they'd probably sell 90,000 tickets 80% of the time. You know, when one boxer, this is one man, and he's drawing upon an audience that's not really connected to boxing, they're just about the experience. So these are the same people that will go to Creamfields and that will go to V-Fest and that will go to SW4. It's just another experience for them. It's another Instagram-worthy moment. That doesn't mean boxing's in a healthy state because... People are retiring because, I mean, the money's not there. You know, guys like Tyler Goodjohn, I mean, they couldn't make the living they wanted to from boxing and they deserve to make a good living. So it tells you that boxing's struggling. So, but see, from one perspective, you'd have thought that that might be good because it's appealing to the masses, which are bringing more money. But does, But on the flip side of that, are you arguing that the money, any extra money that is coming in, if there is any, is being concentrated in specific places rather than being spread across the See, boxing world look, look at this look at the sports that really make money um football rugby the olympics the world cup all backed by global brands right yeah you couldn't have an olympics without nike or adidas there the premiership or mcdonald's or coca-cola pretty or... much yeah these big global brands hover about and and they don't even care about the steroid scandals or anything like that they don't care because they, they didn't care about FIFA's corruption in fairness they, they only started caring when it became ne commercially negative, negative. Yeah. yeah so so ask yourself why are there no corporate sponsors in boxing apart from StubHub and Under Armour and maybe LucasAid why because brands realize boxing isn't a purely sporting contest you're not having the best fighting the best often enough to justify getting behind anyone. And these guys are loose cannons. Can you really imagine? And we'll, you know, Let's take IFL as an example. What adverts could you put in an IFL interview? You couldn't because you don't know if Tyson Fury is going to say we should burn all babies. I'm not saying that he'd say <laughs> that. What I'm saying is... As an example. Yeah, as an example. Or, you know, Chris Eubank Jr. saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang Frank Warren. He wouldn't say that, but, you know... Imagine your advert comes before that and people, they, you know, it, it, it's a PR nightmare. So, so people tend to leave boxing well alone, which means the boxers, apart from guys like Conor Ben and Anthony Joshua, don't get those commercial opportunities. Well, so does that mean that they stay well away because, because boxers trash talk each other? They trash talk each other. Some of them beat their wives. The thing, the, no, that happens in the NFL. It does. And look at what happens to guys who get done. The sponsors say that guy can't play again. Like, 
you know, I know he's eligible to play, but no team can draft him because we can't risk that for our brands. We you know we we sell to female audiences, those sorts of things. So, um, are we back to the situation where boxing seemingly can't be governed by one overarching body, and therefore is always going to be lagging behind? Well, because that seems to be like the like globalization, if anything definitely helps particular sports brands. I've seen it at the Premier League. Does that mean boxing's left behind forever? No, because look at what Eddie Hearn's done. Eddie's probably gone the furthest in trying to take boxing to that middle ground. So if you took all of humanity, about 80 to 85% of them... Love Eddie Hearn. Pretty much. (laughs) But about 80 80 to 85% of people all exist in the same locus and the same things appeal to them. Festivals and Justin Bieber videos and, you know, videos of of babies giggling on Facebook. You know, all this stuff appeals to them. What you're trying to do with boxing is position boxing so it's just on the fringes of that so they can step out without feeling uncomfortable. And that's what Eddie Hearn does. So Eddie Hearn takes an event and goes, you can be a woman and come here. You can be a man and bring your girlfriend. You can be a group of lads out. Well, that's definitely true. I think uh, that's a good argument in as much as football has definitely, certainly the Premier League, has definitely benefited from the clean-up of stadiums, making it more uh, fan-friendly, and therefore the stadiums were a much more inviting place for people to come, full stadiums. I mean, this all encompassed with the love of the game in this country, but... Um, certainly fuller stadiums and it being more accessible has definitely benefited the sport. But look at how they eliminated the hardcore though. So, you know, you don't see much hooliganism amongst Premier League teams anymore. They've dealt with that decisively because it wasn't good for sponsors. So, Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, West Ham, Spurs, all predominantly middle-class clubs now. If you look at the season ticket base, a lot of middle-class support. And but let's be clear, we're not arguing against that, right? It's not a bad thing, surely. No, no. But what I'm saying is, when you want those corporate sponsors, you've got to position yourself so you're not far from that core, that 80 to 85%. You can't be out here on the margins like, like boxing is at the moment. We are a marginal sport until you have those seminal bouts. So how, how can groves. it position itself further in towards the middle ground then? Is it possible? It should be. Just tell these look, tell people, tone down what you say. Andre Ward, prime example. Great boxer. I mean, can smash people to pieces. Doesn't have to talk all that nonsense. Like, he's quite an inspiring person to listen to. You know, look, look at Eubank Sr. No real need to trash talk. Eubank Jr., no, no real need to trash talk. You can trust Eubank Jr. to carry a brand. Why? Because he's, remember, he's been raised, what was it? He went to Brighton College, right? That's where he went to school. So he's been he he is Middle England. As much as he denies it, he is Middle England. And so he's sellable to Middle England. Andre Ward might not be Middle England, but he positions himself in a way that's accessible to them. Uh, so let me float um a theory with you. Is the fact that boxing carries inherent risks in the nature of the sport such potent and potentially damaging risks uh, when you put fighters in against someone who, who on the outside, you look at and see a good matchup that is always going to be struggling. For example, you switch on a football match and you'll be able to see the best versus the best at least sort of like 10 times a year. With boxing, 
there will always be that question of, well, I'm not going to have, uh, you know, I'm not going to have that many uh, fights against top fighters because that incurs a risk which could be damaging long term to that boxer. Therefore, you're only ever going to see infrequent good hardcore bouts. Is that, well, is that has that got traction to it? That theory. It, it, it can't because surely when when the best face the best, then you have the best attack the best defense, the best defense against the best attack. You should, and, and you see this, like when the best fight the best, it's rarely a knockout. It, it, it might be a war, but it's normally a fight of relatively equal standing. So, you know, you know, DeGale versus Jack. I mean, I mean, DeGale took, I mean, took a bit of a slapping, but I mean, no one died in that fight. Thank God. You know, that's the sort of fight that sponsors will get behind because there was no controversy in that fight. It was too, Two men fighting to see who's the best. Where you have problems is when you get into the the table throwing and those sorts of incidents. You know, you don't want your brand associated with that. That's just not good. You know, and and boxing has to understand that you can be corporate without losing that edge. And until it does that, it'll always be a niche sport so with it- a few guys like Frotch and Groves who can bring it to that line where it's almost mainstream. Mm-hmm. Going speaking about table flipping, and this is in reference to Derek Jazora flipping the table at the press conference um, before he fought. Was it Dillian White? Dillian White, of course. So the question here is: Did he do that because he lost control, or did he do it as some calculated move in order to create uh, some sort of publicity for the for the fight? Only Derek knows, but it wasn't good publicity. So when you're hauled before the British Boxing Board of Control, then you know it d- doesn't really work. And if you're a brand, you're like, I can't work with this Jasora guy. Like nothing he does makes any sense. Because think about look, think about what a brand wants. So if I'm a marketing executive and I get behind a boxer, I want to play up the fact that he's a dedicated, tough man, and he goes to war every time he goes in the ring. But I need those switches to be off when he's not in the ring, if that makes sense. If you look at American football, you get guys like Richard Sherman who are loud and they're brash and they're abrasive. But off the off the pitch, not so much so. They're more considered, you know, their their press conferences reflect the fact that, you know, there's a message they have to get over. That's how they make their money. Um Colin Kaepernick, same thing. When he protested the Black Lives Matter situation, People are telling the sponsors, oh, you, you, you've got to withdraw your sponsorship of, of Kaepernick or the 49ers. But because he was articulate, they had to say, no, the guy's expressing his First Amendment right. You know, this is constitutional. You know, why, why would we stop someone exercising their constitutional right? What would that say about us as a brand? In boxing, we don't. We have these guys who think, you know, all kinds of hype sells. And it's ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous to believe that you have to sell a fight that way. That's like that's like Arsenal trying to sell the Arsenal Man United game by playing the Roy Keane Patrick Vieira tunnel incident every time. It's like <laughs> you don't have to like the game speaks for itself, and boxing can do that if everyone understands that we all need each other to make money. See, it seems to me that there's a constant battle between promoters, um, box boxers, and promoters trying to get themselves in, like a, 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 a prestigious boxer getting himself. And a fairly easy match, paying someone enough money to get in a ring with him so he can have a fairly easy fight, but the promoters making maximum gain out of that, rather than every time trying to put on the most competitive fight. When 
will we ever see a situation where we are seeing the best fighters go against the best fighters a regular occurrence because to me if that was the case that's when we'd see more sponsors getting involved because they don't want to be sponsoring dead rubbers who people sort of associate with you know this is pointless okay so so i i take the look everyone that's listening remembers sky sports did a show called the gloves are off and it was the middleweight edition and in that in in that show you had martin murray you had matthew macklin you had andy lee and you had darren barker Four middleweights, four British and or Irish middleweights. You think, right? Two fights, two semi-finals, one final, three bouts in all. These two fight each other. These two fight each other. The winners fight each other. In fact, not only do the winners fight each other, but on the undercard, the losers fight each other. So everyone gets money for at least two of those bouts. How much money would those guys have made? A truckload. Do those guys ever fight each other? No. Why? Because promoters believe the longer you leave a fight, the more people want it. And as we're realizing with Kel Brook and Amir Khan, actually, people don't care about fights after a certain point because new guys come on the scene. So in your opinion, therefore, would it be promotional stagnation that's holding the sport back there's a very old school way of doing business that needs to change and the guy who will change boxing is the guy who says i'm going to have salaried boxes i'm going to take the gloves from 10 to 12 ounces and for the smaller weights from 8 to 10 ounces to reduce the damage and you guys are going to fight once a month i'm going to put on two cards a month and you guys will all fight and you will be told who you're fighting you're not going to pick and you're not going to pull out injured or you don't get paid and the reason that doesn't happen now no no one really has an incentive to do it eddie hearn makes a lot of money doing what he does now frank warren makes good money doing what he does now while they want to rock the boat they don't have to they don't have to challenge anything and that's why boxing never progresses it will be someone look here's here's the model it will be like this I'm a promoter. I'd hoover up all the young kids doing the ABAs this year. Some of the GB guys as well. And then, based off of that, I'd have maybe maybe 20 shows a year. Five of those shows, pay-per-view. The rest of them in big enough arenas like the O2. And you just have these young prospects all fighting each other. You know, people then work out who the hell's good and who's not. You could have a league table if you wanted. Pay-per-views run through Amazon. Forget broadcasters. Run through Amazon Prime. You know, you buy a pair of boxing gloves. This fight's on. It's going to cost you seven quid fifty. Do you want it? Yes. You probably sell at least two or three million of those. Why won't you do that? Once someone works out how to do that and how to convince young guys to sign with them, I mean, sky's finished. Yeah, it seems to me that you could, you could even have teams that that have boxes of different weight classes, even if you just completely changed the weight system so you only included heavyweights, middleweights, lightweights, as we've sort of alluded to before, some, you know, I don't know, something, or some concoction of, of weights so that it was easy to follow so you only had X amount of weights and only so, included X so amount of So funny you should mention that. There's a thing called the World Series of Boxing. Right. And you have national teams. So you've got the GB Lionhearts. Um, maybe it's the Mexican Conquistadors, I, I've forgotten. 
the Ukrainian Ottomans. And they do box against each other. The problem is, like with everything in boxing, they've never really defined what the product is and they've never pushed the product. It's really good. If you want to see Joe Joyce boxing, you know, anywhere between five and eight rounds, watch the World Series of Boxing. It's a decent standard, but it's not a mature enough product yet where you can say, well, actually, I can see where this is going. See, if this was professional, you could have a draft. You could almost model it on something like the NFL with a, with a league system and then a like a finale of one night where all of the leading teams from whatever fight each other for, for, a, for a final sort of cup, if you like. I don't know. Yeah. What, what you'd want is if you want to have a draft system, you'd have to control the points of entry of professional boxing. So th- there could be no other form of professional boxing other than the one controlled by the British Boxing Board of Control. Everything else would be illegal. If that were the case, you could create a funnel where there are more people coming in than there are available slots. Then you can have a draft. So all the registered promoters go, yep, yep, everyone gets a pick. And then you, you can trade, you can do whatever. That would work, but you have to control the entry point. I don't think we do that at the moment. Any personal trainer who's done a bit of pad work thinks they can box. Okay, let's move on. Uh, that's that's my indulgence for this week. Uh, let's move on to boxing news, uh, which includes the fact that Nathaniel Wilson has patched up his relationship with Chris Eubank Sr. And he's going to be, uh, albeit he says that he's... His relationship at the moment is a new relationship and his father just basically gives him boxing advice. <clears throat> uh, and he's going to be playing him in a film that depicts the fight that Chris Eubank Sr. had with Michael Watson in 1991. So give us some, just a brief backstory about this, this fight then um, and then anything else you want to on the situation. Um, so I think most people remember the, the Eubank versus Watson fight. Um, Michael Watson, darling of the amateur scene on his way up, um, well-respected, good, honest pro, never made any noise, was diligent, solid if not a spectacular fighter. Then you had Chris Eubank, who was the antithesis of everything boxing represented. And I think this was around the time where Chris Eubank said boxing's a mugs game. So he already had everyone on his back. So... Fight itself, you know, Andy just caught me on the hops. I'm trying to remember how the fight went. But essentially, Michael Watson gave Chris Eubank a boxing lesson. Until, was it round 11? And Eubank uncorks an uppercut on Watson. And does he drop him or does Watson's head hit the ropes? And essentially, that's what triggered the brain damage. So after the fight, the fight stopped at that point, obviously, because... You know, Watson, I mean, Eubank really, really did a number with that punch. So the fight stops and there's no adequate medical care at this point. And if you want to watch the fight, I think Tim Westwood is actually in Michael Watson's corner for this fight. And so you, you, you're watching the, the, the utter chaos because no one knew what to do in those situations. And it was those vital minutes that basically cost Michael Watson much of his health and definitely cost him his career. And Chris Eubank was never the same man after that. He, he, you know, he'd have someone hurt and just not go for the knockout. And he'd deny that the fight affected him. But in truth, you could see that the fight did affect him. But on the upside, it changed boxing for the good. Because now I'd say no sport takes safety more seriously than boxing does. And it's a tragedy that Michael Watson had to be the master for that cause. But thanks to Michael Watson, a lot of boxers are able to live. I'd love to recite the the example of Nick Blackwell, 
but obviously he's back in hospital now. And we wish him a speedy recovery. But because this this fight was cited um, after the uh, Chris Eubank Jr. and Blackwell fight, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Um, uh, because Eubank himself had referenced the fight afterwards, saying that he'd been wanting to fight the, to stop the fight earlier because he didn't want Chris Eubank Jr. to go through the same thing or something something along those lines. I forget now, but he'd he'd even referenced it himself, had he not? But yeah, can you imagine? Chris Eubank had to deal with the wrath of at least half the population who blamed him initially. So psychologically, that's very hard to take because all you're doing, you know, you're doing your job as Chris likes to talk about the warrior code. So emotionally tough scenario. You know, I I don't even know if I'd want a film made of that. You know, hopefully Michael Watson gets an income from it because he deserves that. But it's not really subject matter as a boxing fan. I'd be that interested in for obvious reasons it it didn't end well and it's tragic but it's good to see nathaniel wilson's patched up things with his dad you know he should have the right to play his father in a film to be honest with you well why not but it certainly looks a lot like him yeah okay moving on uh andrew selby versus charlie edwards it's off uh so, why? so the british boxing board mandated this for the british title andrew selby was all over it yep i'll have it Charlie Edwards was like, well, his hand is like, nah, we'll go a different direction. Which is a shame because this is the whole point about boxing. These are the fights that draw corporate sponsors in. The best fighting the best. And if we keep giving people an avenue to run, then no one makes any money. And and people, it, it's, it's individually rational to say, actually, I'll do what's best for my career. But collectively, it's irrational because then you limit the money available to everybody. So, Matt Chander at Super Flyweight and Michael Devine at Super Featherweight have both been announced as having title fights coming up. Here. Are they both in March? or? Um, can't confirm the dates. This yeah. is when we need Martin. You know. Yeah. A <laughs> mouthpiece for the small horse. They're both, yeah, Goodwin fighters, right? Yes, massive fair than the cap for Steve Goodwin. Um, I've been public in saying I don't understand what Goodwin promotions were doing. Now I'm starting to see the pieces they were putting in place a year, year and a half ago, two years ago. And it's all coming to it's coming together. You know, you can see Steve's building a tidal wave that's not only rising some of his boxes, but bringing some of the others through as well. So it's a massive feather that kept for Steve. Um, we just hope for continued progress onwards and upwards. But that's a, that's a good bit of news, especially for those guys like Matt Chander, who show up and give the fans entertainment every time they're on the card. Okay, so we've got some fights coming up this weekend. Adrian Broner is in one of them, but give us the lowdown on the preview. So Broner versus Granados. Um, originally, the fight was made at 142 pounds. Broner comes into the press conference asking about his weight, and Broner's response was, I should make weight, no problem. You know, I'm close to making weight, so I should be okay. To which Granados responds, the only reason you can say you, you're making weight is because you had the weight class change from 142 to 147, which you know goes to show Broner just does what he wants essentially, and as a result of that, you know, he makes the fast of weight classes. You know, Broner struggled at 147, but Granados isn't really a threat to him. It's more of a homecoming fight. Let's build, you know, Broner in Cincinnati in the wider Ohio area, and let's turn this into a boxing hotbed. Um, so supporting that. And this is for British interest. I think it's Carl Carl Greaves' fighter, David Avanesian, who fought Shane Mosley for the WBA title, if you remember. 
I'm sure someone will pull up and say that's incorrect. So, yeah, we've got David Avanesian, British-based Armenian boxer, fighting Lamont Peterson, who most people remember for giving Amir Khan all kinds of hell at 140 pounds. And this was for the WBA title. I think this was for the regular. Um, interesting enough fight. Two workmen like fighters. I like Lamont Peterson, as everyone knows from the Amir Khan fight. His story is absolutely fascinating. Another Barry Hunter trained fighter. I think Barry Hunter actually adopted him and his brother Anthony Peterson, and they lived with him and trained. So it would be nice for Peterson to win a world title. He's coming to the twilight of his career. If he wins this belt, be a good fight for Kell Brook some point down the line. Peterson's a good name. And if he beats him, he can say he beat someone Khan couldn't. So it all sells a good story. So for British fans, you know, whichever way this fight goes, you imagine either Brook or Khan fighting the winner of this one because it's an easy enough fight to make. Um, it being on PBC and everything. Um, who else do you want to look out for on that card? Always say Tevin Farmer. Who's fighting the impressive and always available TBA. Yes, um, so I think this is just a stay-busy fight for Tevin Farmer, the most avoided man at 130 after Lomachenko. To be honest, I'd quite like to see him fight Lomachenko. I think that would be a damn good fight. Um, but Farmer, class act. If you can watch him, watch him, because he represents what boxing is about. You know? Where people complain about Mayweather using his shoulder roll and running around the ring, Farmer will stay in the pocket and trade with you. He's got a touch of the Errol Spencer Jr. about him, which is, you know, something that's quite likable. But essentially, that's, you know, that's what we have in the States. If we fly over to the UK... Nathan Gorman versus... Oh, you have to do this one for me. Um, mate, I f- don't even know the guy's name. I heard it, so I'm, I'm just going to mumble. Gito Gogonovsky, whatever his name is. It's something like that. I imagine he's Georgian or some variant of that. Um, it was meant to be a stay-busy fight for the English title fight against Domak and Lardy. But don't sleep on this guy, because I think he's got a record of 35 and 14 or something ridiculous like that. He's not a he's not a joke by any stretch of the imagination. So it'll be a test for Nathan. You imagine that he's an experienced enough journeyman that Nathan Gorman will go through the motions but get the win. Gogita uh, Gorgladzi is his name. And he no. is 34 wins and 15 losses. Solid, okay. solid enough record. I'm not going to ask who he's fought, so we don't know if they're all authentic. Or not. Uh, I, I mean, I, I've, frankly, I can barely pronounce any of the names that he has fought. <laughs> so, so that, which says it all. But I mean, when you've got the best part of fifty bouts and you, you're experienced enough that you can give someone like Nathan Gorman, who has seven bouts, all the work that he needs. So that 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 would be a good enough fight up in Stoke. Anyone from the Midlands, go and catch that because that might be you know our future heavyweight star. To be fair, almost every single one of his fights from about three years and, and before that are in Kandelki Sports Hall in Tbilisi in Georgia. So That hotbed of boxing in Eastern <laughs> Europe. <laughs> if you look on a, a boxing world sort of skill heat map, that's where the place comes up. You're there, you're, White you're, yeah, you're looking at like, what the hell is this? <laughs> Um, okay, so moving then, on. So, yeah, so bringing it back to London, there's a Hellraiser show. Mickey Helliot is back in business, which is good to see. Um, it'll be headlined by one of his leading fighters, Asinia Byfield. Don't ask me who he's fighting. Um, I'm going to say John Bennett at a guest, but don't quote me on that. Um, Asinia, 
good enough boxer actually um you know you're kind of waiting for him to to step up you know and, and have a real impact in 2017 also on that card chris congo I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised if he fights so soon after the february the 4th card but you know he's a young man with a lot of energy the, you know the 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 fight on the Eubank card didn't last that long so why not and then charlie win i got yeah people should look out for charlie win it'll be very very interesting if anyone's about in london and he will bring pretty much all the Millwall crowd with him. Um, Charlie Wynn, Bermondsey boy, through and through. He's new on the scene, right? Charlie's, I think he's had, is it, this is the One second fight. fight. Yeah. From um, Steve Backhouse. Yeah, so he, so Charlie Wynn context, last year fought in the ABAs against one of my guys. You know, I thought the fight was close, could have gone either way. One thing that impressed me about Charlie is he's very, he's a throwback fighter. You know, those those guys who, do all the right things and have all those sort of lost arts that, you know, fighters from Bermondsey in the 50s probably had. And he's got a lot of those elements in him. So good to watch him. I mean, served his time as an amateur. Um, Somewhat unlucky to be overshadowed by Ted Cheeseman. You know, they're both boxed for Fisher, both boxed at the same weight. And, you know, Ted Cheeseman had more of a profile, but that's to ignore how good Charlie actually is. And he's matured a lot. Good man. He he. When we talk about boxing commercializing, Charlie Wynn is the sort of person you could whack on an advert. He he's got that. You know, he just looks like he should do something else other than just box, which is always good because if you look the part, normally you tend to go places. So no, you know, look out for him. I think the Hellraiser card will be okay. Um, you know, the Dove Box promotional card as we discussed earlier was okay. We're still looking for, for that big blockbuster card. I know Steve Goodwin's got some stuff cooking in the pot, so we'll see what March brings for that one. But, you know, our expert for that is nursing a hangover and a bruised ego somewhere. Um, we have Cornish versus Sexton uh, for the British heavyweight title. And uh, as in the interests of giving us some of his questions, Martin has asked, is this the weakest domestic heavyweight scene in memory? No. God, no. Um, you know, who did he think was was fighting for the British title when Lennox Lewis was at world level? You know, there, there was nobody. So you had guys like, and rest in peace to Mike Murray. I'm sure Mike Murray fought for the British heavyweight title. Someone can Google this when they listen to the podcast. So guys like Mike Murray were fighting for the belt. Maybe Derek Williams as well. Yeah, that wasn't a great standard either. Um, John McDermott, I'm sure he fought for the British as well. So the standard hasn't always been stellar for that one. Let's be absolutely clear about this. Is this the weakest division? Yes, but only because we have so many heavyweights at world level. If 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 our world level fighters had to fight for the British title right now, then some of the best fights in the world would be for the British title. But we have so many guys who are at a level above that now that there's a massive vacuum in terms of, you know, the up-and-coming guys. That's why we're looking forward to all of these guys. Your, your Nathan Gormans, Tom Little, um, Daniel Dubois, um, Naylor Ball. Um, who else is coming through? Look, even the guys in the amateurs now, John Palata. Look out for John Palata, man. Great things expected of him. Looks the part. Boxes well. Jamie Shakiva. Um... All these guys, Courtney Bennett, you know, my, the guy that I trained, Courtney Bennett, or used to train, Courtney Bennett, all these guys are future stars. And, you know, 
there are probably others coming through as well that we don't know. So in the next two to three years, I think it will be an exciting time. I think we're just in that lull now where so many guys have moved up so quickly. We've just left a bit of a vacuum. Which country is developing the best fighters? And to what? Uh, and to that end, which country in the next 10 years will have the most dominant professional boxers? Wow. Um, probably still the US, just from the fact that, you know, star-wise, I think they just have pro boxing nailed. The Eastern Europeans are trying, but, you know, they also have their kryptonite. You know, the, if these Eastern European fighters don't have power, they don't tend to win. Whereas I think with the Americans, you can win any number of different ways. Don't sleep on Southern Africa. So I think from any any weight, from middleweight down, Southern Africa could produce some incredible boxers. Ghana, we all know about Bukom and the, the great fighters that have come out of Ghana. But I think the next boxing hotbed will be the Middle East. And when people ask me why, the answer is simple. You can over-the-counter buy what the hell you want, whether it's a lion, whether it's a Lamborghini, <laughs> whether it's a goat. I love the way you start with lion. <laughs> or even a spreadsheet. You can get what, whatever you want. You know, I was I was in Southeast Asia um, a good few years ago now, but... Um, was that one of your many assassins missions? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was out there for an assassination just so happened I got struck down with some hideous flu virus um at a time my girlfriend she went to the she went to the yeah maybe it was the pun. <laughs> she went to the pharmacy so anyway she was a, a pharmacy technician and uh, she came back and she went right take this whatever sort of sorted me out but she went you would not believe the stuff that you can buy in there you could buy AIDS medication off the shelf just literally buy anything you wanted no questions asked how many do you want how many boxes of that do you want <laughs> it's hand insane. over 17 flip flops and you, and you crack on it's, it's, yeah. it was mental it's insane and this is where you're going to start finding boxes going so a parallel example I don't know if anyone is interested in bodybuilding, but if you look at what's happening in bodybuilding right now, there's a gym in Kuwait called the Oxygen Gym, and everyone goes there because you can get pharma-grade gear, you've got the best gym probably on the planet, um, and you've got a whole infrastructure dedicated to producing bodybuilders, much like you had with Joe Weider in the 70s on the west coast of the United States. Boxing's waiting for that moment now. Right now, it's the Mayweather Gym. But what's to say you don't set something up in Dubai or Qatar? that's equally as good and everyone just comes down to train you give them subsidized accommodation why wouldn't they come out there and then why wouldn't you fight out there well certainly there's there's precedent for it isn't there in the history yeah. in, in the history of boxing yeah the, the boxing ideology moves but look at various points mexico's in the ascendancy then it's america then the uk then the far east because people always assume that the far east and things recent They've been winning amateur titles from day dot. These guys have been boxing for a long time. It's just that the appetite to be professional came after communism fell and there was just there was a lag while people adjusted from one state of being to another. Okay. If you could pick a five aside team of current boxers for football, not for fighting, who would you pick and in what position and why? <laughs> um, That's from Tartin Tartin Meabold. <laughs> David Hay up front. Because? He's just an athlete. He He's quick, you know, nimble. No, I think he's a bit cumbersome. You think he just, he's going to do the DDA Drogba thing, is he? Yeah, no, no, definitely have him up front. A threat, you know, can just bully people around. 
Okay. Um, Starting to see I, how I, your team are going to play already. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have. Is it five plus a keeper or five including the keeper? Well, let's go for a five aside team. So five including the keeper. Okay. So rush goalie AJ. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> rush goalie. Yeah. You know, you need someone. You need someone big, reason, you know, reasonable with his feet. I know he does play football, so he he will do. Um, we've got three more players to pick. Chris Eubank, box to box mid. <laughs> He's got the engine, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Billy Joe Saunders. I would have Billy Joe. I, I imagine Billy mid. Joe Saunders would would be one of those really irritating players you can't tackle. He's not maybe the most skillful, but he's got just enough skill to frustrate the living daylights out of you, and you can't get the ball off. A bit him. like Paul Scholes. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, I wouldn't want to necessarily stick him in that category, but uh, just irritating as hell. And I can imagine he's the sort of guy that would, when his team scored, come up and scream in your face to just really twist the knife or something like that. And then. Oh, he's struggling. You need someone mental to partner up at, uh, in in defence. Scott Quigg. <laughs> It'd have to be Scott Quigg at the back because the ball would never go that way because you wouldn't know what he'd do to you. <laughs> okay, let's... Uh, that is something our listeners can definitely get involved in. Send us your five-a-side teams made up for boxers. Yeah. I want to see Butterbean being chosen in goal. <laughs> Well, fill the goal. If 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 I had the option of just a static keeper, then yeah. But, 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 but when you've got a rush goalie, man, I need someone who can do something else. Right. Final question: Should the process at domestic level, when it comes to selecting mandatories and eliminators, etc., be more transparent? Um, you know, and and give us reasons why fire A is at the top of the pecking order. Uh, at the moment, there's room for corruption. Well. You know, people dig up the IBO, but I think the IBO are the only governing body that use computerized scoring. Um, don't know what the algorithm is, but at least they're trying. I think it's the same with BoxRec as well. BoxRec tried to use an algorithm to work out who should be top and who shouldn't. Reasonable start point, in my opinion. But we're missing the point here. The main point is, if we just take a step back and look at this, I don't have to fight for a British title to be a world champion. I just don't have to. And until governing bodies say, actually, you can't fight for a world title until you've won a national title, the belts mean nothing. The British title means nothing, really. So, how do you solve that? Um, My view is very simple. The governing bodies would have to say, we're not sanctioning a world title fight for anyone who hasn't won their national title. And then all of a sudden it becomes important to win the British and people campaign for transparency because they'll say, look, if I don't win the British, I can't win the world. And that's what you want to do. Once you do that, the transparency will come automatically because promoters will walk in and go, you know, how the hell is boxer X above boxer Y? You know, just theoretical example, why is Tyrone Nurse above Josh Taylor? And you can walk in and demand answers for that. But until then, look, if, if Tyrone Nurse is above Josh Taylor, Josh Taylor will just go another route. There's always another route, and we need to start closing these routes down. Okay, bear with us, listener. We're almost done. Uh, Bill at BillG91. I don't normally read the Twitter handles out, but that one is actually pronounceable. He asks, who are your top five UK prospects? And I assume that's it anyway. Um, Daniel Dubois. Um, you've heard me talk about him on the show before. I uh, no other reason to add that. Um, 
Joshua Boatze for obvious reasons. Um, probably as complete an amateur going into the pros as you're going to find. Because my, my assumption is these are zero bouters. So I'm going to just go with guys who are on zero bouts. Well, you've got to draw a line somewhere, so go for yeah, it. Yeah, so zero bouts. There's a kid called Chris Billum Smith, and he'll be finishing his ABA round this year. And he might be one of these guys who can cross over. I know he's highly thought of by Shane McGuigan. So he's on that list. So we're up to three now. A guy that I work with, you know, John Palata, heavyweight. I mean, he's looking really, really good. Um, few things we need to work on. But is there a more athletic heavyweight coming through? Probably not. Um, uh, d- uh, define his athleticism with a comparison to an existing heavyweight, if you can. If you can. Okay. On so, the... so, so you see that cushion next to your head? <laughs> yeah. He could jump off the ground, land on that comfortably. Right. So this cushion's about five feet off the ground, I suggest. Yeah, he he land on that. So uh, what? So are we are we talking sort of uh, David Hayes levels of athleticism before maybe he put on this sort of size that he's put on now, or, or Dave, more Dave, so? David saw the jump. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and and when you see the head nod for yeah, he saw the jump. Like John, John's a great athlete. He's the sort of player, sort of person. Sorry, who could have played rugby, could have played football. He's just an. So athlete. would he make your five aside team? Do you think? If we do this next year, maybe. <laughs> so we. How many have we done now? Three, or four. Okay, so we'll pick one more. I'm going to pick two guys. The Siamese twins? No, no. And, oh. and, and when I explain the story, you understand. Mason Smith and Martin McDonough, anyone who's familiar with the amateurs will know, these guys have fought, I think it's twice now, and they fight for the amateur equivalent of an English title belt. It's like, who's the best 64-kilo boxer in the country? They just go life and death every time they box each other, and it's always like you could give it to either one of them. And you look at these two, different characters, different backgrounds, you know, Mason's your typical Londoner, North Londoner. Martin McDonough, traveller background from Kent. You know, contrasting clubs. All of this stuff. And you look and you go, if these guys can translate their talent into the pros, it's a ready-made rivalry. They'll both do well because they're really, really good boxers and really dedicated. But it's that kind of rivalry that you love because if they do make it as pros, you can go back. Right. To when it was pure. And Where its origins are. Yeah, this is a real rivalry between these two. And you can see all the different milestones. Like, you know, Mason getting accepted to GB while Martin didn't. They're, they're basically battling for the same slot. And just uh, genuine competition. And if you're a boxing fan, get into this. This, this. The whole Mason Smith versus Martin McDonough is great for boxing. Because any kind of rivalry, whether it's amateur or pro, just is great for the sport. You know, I was hoping Daniel Dubois stay in the amateurs so he'd have that kind of rivalry with young Courtney Bennett as well. You want these rivalries because that's what makes money in the pros. If you go back to Michael Watson, I'm sure Michael Watson and Nigel Ben fought in the amateurs, but Nigel Ben had a real rivalry with a guy called Rod Douglas. And that was what the promoters were looking forward to promoting in the late 80s. But I think Rod Douglas suffered an injury. And that was it an eye injury? And he could never box again. Mm. So Eubank conveniently stepped into that slot. Nigel Ben was always looking for someone to rage against, and Eubank conveniently stepped into that. So those sorts of rivalries are real. So the Rod Douglas, Michael, Michael Watson, and Nigel Ben triangle of terror 
was was notorious in the amateurs. So those sorts of things, yeah. Um, David Hay, Ian Lewison, back in the day, that was also you know that was a pretty serious rivalry. <laughs> Doesn't gone, seem that that would make much of a rivalry now though. No, they've gone separate they, ways. It, it's all about the mindset. Yeah, but so, so I think in essence that would probably cover in terms of prospects. Okay, we have reached the end of the podcast. We have one. I'm for, like, Terry, normally I would let you off Argue the Inarguable. I think you should. But I can't because one of our listeners has come in with an Argue the Inarguable and I can't make him wait two weeks. It's just not fair. So, unfortunately, I'm going to have to give it to you. Oh, wow. Okay, so, Daniel Saint asks... Oh, sorry, sorry. Daniel Saint puts forward, David Price was in the shape of his life against Christian Hammer. If that shape is a Pillsbury Doughboy, then he was perfectly aligned. Like you know, <laughs> it's like he just came out the mold fresh. He he looked absolutely huge. Um, I like David Price, but I looked at him and went, I wouldn't know what body part was what. It was just literally like the beginning of an ice sculpture, basically <laughs> without without a single chisel being applied. But look, seriously, really pray for David Price. Like the guy, you know. Hopefully, he finds a home in boxing. That makes the most of his skills and his talents. Maybe there's some sort of like donut division that is yet to yet to be <laughs> yet to come Do into I'm existence. Right. I don't even know what time my fucking train is. Oh, well, <laughs> there you go, real life. <laughs> Keep that in. <laughs> I, I thought you'd paused it. All right. No, I haven't. All right. All right, you know. There you go. You've seen the inner workings of the podcast. People. Yeah, yeah. Let's all let's all pretend we're part of the same team. You know. How quick can you drive? You know, we're all here now. We're having it out. <laughs> Fuck it, you know. Right, that takes us to the end, an exclusive behind-the-scenes edition. Of- be- before anyone goes anywhere, check out the new website, www.thesevenwallsboxing.com. Tell me what you think of the, the new livery. Get in touch. We had no questions from our audience this week. Aside None. As well, aside from Bill91 or whatever Bitches. It was. So please get in touch. Tramps. At the Seven Wolves. At the New Wasters. Age Boxing UK. And at New Age Boxing We're here podcast. with our hands on our nuts going, where are the questions? All right. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> this might be the reason why we don't get any sponsorship. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> get to the chopper. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. No, seriously, thank you, because clearly this has gone off the rails big time. Um, and yeah, I suppose... It is not a tumor. Uh, we'll get... We'll go. Oh, God. We'll see you next week. Julius, thank you very much for listening. You're forgetting the third rule in a crisis oh, situation. Oh, <laughs>